Welcome to episode 88 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Becky. She used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Becky, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Have you lost the ability to share intimately with another person? Have you found people in the program that you can trust with your secrets? What are your barriers to intimacy with your loved ones? Today, you might have guessed, we're going to talk about intimacy. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of intimacy. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Mara. How are you today, Mara? I'm great. Thanks, Spencer. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, intimacy. Following a short break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives. We will follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news before closing. The reading today is from the book Blueprint for Progress, which is an Al-Anon fourth step workbook. And this is from the chapter titled Intimacy. When we come to Al-Anon, many of us have lived in isolation. Worried about what others would think, we lived our lives cautiously, afraid to let anyone know what was really going on inside. We may even have shut out our family and close friends. Some of us were reluctant to interact with new people and had few, if any, close relationships. As a result, we may have been lonely and felt that no one understood. In Al-Anon, we find many of these experiences are common to others in the program. Eventually, we see that the friends we make in Al-Anon can become our confidants and strong supporters. By sharing in meetings, we start to trust others, to reason things out without gossip, and to earn mutual respect. Intimate relationships can help us grow. As we become more open with those in our lives, we find we can rely on them to encourage us and to give us honest feedback. Eventually, we use what we learn to strengthen our relationships with family members and friends. So, as I said, my name is Spencer, and uh, Mara, I wanted to ask you, how do you define intimacy? I think <laughs> I think we could talk about that really this whole time, um, because I think in a lot of ways that's why we're here in the program, mm-hmm. is that um, I think a lot of us have used ourselves to scare ourselves, mm-hmm. to be afraid of our own personalities and uh like in the sister program we use various destructive behaviors to avoid that and so you know when you brought up this topic you know the first Mm -hmm. thing I thought of was intimacy with myself Hmm. because I I feel like um, that's what, that's the hardest thing. And that's what one always ends up coming back to. And that's what, if you, I don't want to say come to know yourself because I don't necessarily think it's an analytical process. I think it's much more of a physical process. And I think the more 
in which you experience intimacy with yourself, intimacy with your own fear, intimacy with your own discomfort and um, dissonance and transformations. And I feel stuck in this emotion and I'm not going to let it move. I'm going to hold on to it for dear life. Like the more you experience that, I feel like the intimacy with others just comes. Hmm. And, uh, and, you know, so I spent a lot of time sort of thinking about that. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about how close intimacy is related for me to shame and Mm -hmm. to a feeling of weight where I, I feel like not only the words burden come to mind, but when I, I get closer and closer to people, um, I really associate intimacy with complication. Like there's love, but then the flip side of the coin for me, which I'm still trying to figure out, is that flip side a necessary flip side or is that flip side for me, I think that flip side is a big story that I put on everything, even even objects in my home, because I've been traveling and I came back and I have been purging my apartment of bags and bags of just stuff that I think I hoarded just for uh, an idea of scarcity and Mm. an idea of, you know, intimacy for me was in a lot of ways uh, connected to this fear of if I lose anything or if I break something, my mom is going to freak out and I'm going to get abused. Mm. And so the ability, you know, cause so I think like a lot of skills are involved in intimacy and that's kind of why we're here in Al-Anon, let, you know, letting go, being present in the moment, you know, so, you know, what it is, you know, is kind of a shifting transparent sort of thing. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I had a much simpler, um, definition. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I overcomplicate. Can you tell? <laughs> uh, actually, I, I, I went to my, you know, my standard resource these days is the internet. And I found on vocabulary.com, intimacy is closeness with another person, like the intimacy that develops between friends as you tell one another your life story and all your secrets and dreams wow. for the future. And I really liked that. Wow. Uh, because secrets it, and dreams... For the future. These are loaded words. Oh, yeah. The future. Not only, you know, there's the present, but there's like the future involved. Wow, that's a lot of... That's a lot of words. <laughs> yeah, but I also liked it because it's just very straightforward. It's not a yeah. uh, you know sort of a standard dictionary definition that defines the word in terms of other words that then I have to go look up. Uh, and also, and I don't know um, you know if this is everybody, but when I first hear the word intimacy, uh, my mind goes to sexual relationships so-called intimate relationships, and that's not what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, I mean, for me, it, I think it's difficult to have a sexual relationship with somebody without having intimacy, hmm. mm. uh, or at least to have, you know, a good one. Um, and with good being a very loaded word here. <laughs> <laughs> good, bad. You're so binary, Spencer. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Because as I was saying that, I thought one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this topic uh, is because of the difficulty that I have being 
sort of intimate in this way of sharing uh, my secrets and my dreams with the person that I'm supposed to be closest to in my life, which is to say the person I'm married to, uh, who also happens to be, you know, the primary alcoholic in my life. And I think there's some, some connection there because I don't remember that being a problem when we first started um, dating. I hear this story from a lot of people in Al-Anon, like, yeah, I started dating this guy, and then, um, you know, we got married, like, in four months. That's normal, right? Or something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, we we started dating in the sense that, like, I would come over to her apartment and we'd make out uh, and talk until uh, all hours. And then I, I don't think it was more than a couple weeks I moved in. Um, and I still had my own place. Uh, but... And I moved in sufficiently that we actually sublet my place to another friend for several months. Uh, like, until, I think until her lease ran out and then she moved in with me. But um, this sort of jumping into relationships things uh, seems to be something that uh, a number of my uh, fellow codependents uh, do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally relate to that. Um, I was in a relationship for 10 years and, um, uh, and we got married towards the end and then, and then divorced. Um, and it was that divorce and the subsequent relationship that followed that really springboarded my, my recent and what feels very significant transformation and, and my entry into Al-Anon. But, um, we did the same thing. I think we, uh, live together from like, I don't want to say the first date, <laughs> but pretty close. Huh? Yeah. And, and that is definitely an interesting kind of thing that, that keeps coming up. And I think that's why that sort of intimacy with myself you know, has been incredibly primary because there was something even at the beginning of that relationship that felt, you know, even though I didn't know what it was, I was very, I was very young, but this feeling, this discomfort with weight, my independence is somehow going somewhere and I'm not quite sure what it feels like, but I remember like that, giving up that independence and feeling that codependency come on um, actually made me really rage. It made me, it made a lot of our, our really horrible, really horrible, heartbreaking, just like brutal fights. And, and none of us, and neither of us knew what we were doing. And, but how much, like for me to get in touch with my own needs, cause I didn't, I didn't know what my needs were. He didn't know what his needs were. And so we just sort of, all we knew was to, to, um, dive into love in this way that also felt very painful. And I didn't know, I didn't know why. And I think, you know, for me now, I, I really recognize when, when something feels comfortable, a lot of times it has to do with someone who is very clear about their own boundaries. And then I feel like we're on the same page in terms of, I need X, Y, Z, you know, being comfortable talking about what your needs are and what your boundaries are rather than just sort of being swept up into a kind of enmeshment. And I, I think that's why, you know, I talk about awareness and, you know, it's, is really important to me for any kind of 
true intimacy without that in- incredibly destructive behaviors that come in. So thinking about um, intimate relationships in the past and, and thinking about how, how well they worked or how well they didn't work. Um, you know, I, I, I know that I had this pattern of, of really uh, sort of diving in, as you say, and, and I felt like opening up uh, about everything and whether that was really true or not. I mean, what is everything when you're 20 as opposed to, you know, later in life? Uh, maybe that's different or maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe I just was less, um, less burned, shall we say? Uh, mm. I don't know. Uh, but I feel like there, that, that I did not have this problem when of, of, of not feeling safe opening up to people, uh, that I did not have this problem when I was younger. And, uh, and, and so something happened in there where I'm much more cautious now. Uh, and, but when you were talking about this sort of, um, destructive intimacy, if I could call it that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I kind of had, um, an experience of that recently and did not recognize it when I was in it, uh, where the, the intimacy that I was having with another person, um, kind of took over, um, took over and, and I had like really bizarre emotional, um, responses that, mm. um, and I think. Why bizarre? Um, I just, I found myself like really strongly attracted, um, mm. wanting to, you know, spend as much time as possible with this person. I mean, it felt very much like a crush, if you will. Um, but it wasn't a sexual attraction. And this other person happened to be a woman. Um, it wasn't that kind of attraction, which, which is, I think it was confusing to me. Right. There was a, there was a newness, there was a discomfort as, I mean, did you feel like you were, I I mean, cause for me, when I'm hearing in your story, what comes up for me is sort of like the, when our needs evolve and change, like especially, or our experiences involve, evolve and change and things come up in us that, that, you know, like you said, (laughs) are bizarre or we want to judge them, you know, rather than, you know, be intimate with them and come closer to them. And like how, you know, what is like progress can be startling. Like, I almost think that that was wonderful that you were so open that that could come up. Cause I think a lot of us come into the program and like, you know, or or you hear in a lot of shares, people say like, Oh, I don't feel that emotion. I have never felt that emotion. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And unfortunately um, that, that relationship um, ended very suddenly um, because I think there was a, there was a lot of boundary crossing going on. Uh, I think neither of us was really aware of it happening. Uh, And, uh, and then it became clear. And, uh, but I think part of that, you know, and I'm still, I'm still analyzing what happened and it's been uh, almost a year. Uh, And, and I think part of it was, that I was finding 
the ability to be um, intimate in that relationship to really just express what was, you know, my secrets and my dreams, right? As I said in the definition, that <laughs> I was not able to do uh, with my wife. And obviously, it was something that I wanted, even if I hadn't recognized that I wanted it. And so I've been, I've been thinking recently quite a bit about, you know, what, what is going on here and, and what, what can I do? What can I ask for? And what can I ask my higher power for? Uh, what can I do to, um, you know, regain the intimacy that we had? I think is, uh, that the intimacy that was severely damaged by the, uh, I, I think it was by the alcoholism um, that uh, that I came to feel not safe. In that relationship or in your patterns with relationships? Um, in, well, in, 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 in my relationship with my wife in particular. Um, and that somehow there's, you know, that I don't trust her with my emotional safety. I think is 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 another way to put it. Do you trust yourself with your emotional safety? Well, like, now there's you... a really good question. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a really good question because I had not thought about it in that way. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting when you talk, because the destructive emotions, I mean, I think for me, this kind of thing that would spill over into these destructive emotions was like, I would have these feelings. I, I, I mean, this is a long time ago. So it's like, how, how do you talk about the past? Like, how much am I talking about the past? How much am I talking about the present? Um, uh, and I wanted someone to see me for who I was in, in, in everything, in my ugliness, in my rage, in my anger, you know, I wanted to be the big person that I felt, I always felt I was, and I always felt that from my, you know, childhood that I was always denied. And I think that craving and that need and that repression and that pattern, at least for me, you know, I, that one person, (laughs) we can't do this shit alone, but one person cannot be that, cannot be everything. And I did not know that. And yeah, I mean, I knew when I came out of that relationship, one thing was immediately clear, which is why I came into the program, was that I needed more support. I needed more people. And I needed to be witnessed by more people who would meet me with kindness and understanding and lack of judgment, you know, because this, this thing inside of me was not for, um, you know, my loved one. But that wasn't love. It was a, it was intimate but it wasn't loving mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so I think I want to move forward here into talking about um, how we have learned how we have found um, in maybe in Al-Anon in the program in the rooms um, a place where we have found maybe a new kind of intimacy than what we knew in the past. Because for me, it, it very often was tied up with love and lust and all that, um, uh, 
you know, those teenage emotional things, uh, and, and finding a different way to be intimate, sometimes in like a large group of people, which is really weird when you say it out loud, um, is, has been one of the gifts to me of, of being in the program. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and I was thinking about, well, what is it that has enabled this? What is it that has brought this about for me? And I identified, um, some characteristics, I think, that for me, I find in the program, whether it's in a meeting or in a, um, when I get together with, with a program friend, uh, and how did, how this sort of came about for me. And I think that I, for somehow I felt after my first meeting, like, wow, here's a place where I can actually talk about what's happening in my life, uh, where I don't have to wall off this huge part of my experience and, and not talk about it. And that was certainly what was happening before, before I found Al-Anon that there was this huge part of my life that I couldn't talk about with my friends. I could not talk about with my coworkers. I could not talk about with my family who's left. Um, nobody. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then loneliness. And then I found this room full of people and I was like, Whoa, I think I can talk about it here. Uh, and so there was this feeling without evidence, you know, faith without evidence, right? There was this feeling that here's a safe place. I mean, I, and, and because I think it starts with hearing other people talking openly and honestly about these things that I've been hiding. And, and I think you said something earlier about shame and how that, um, breaks intimacy. And definitely, I know that, that I felt huge shame over the fact that, you know, my wife was alcoholic. Oh my God, that's a horrible thing that's not supposed to happen. And, and it's so shameful and it's all my fault. Um, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that self-talk and to come in and to hear people talking without shame about the same things, um, I think was mm-hmm. part of what contributed to that feeling of safety. And, and it is still the case that there are things that I would find very difficult to say to anybody else one-on-one that I will just say straight out in a meeting. Um, weird. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what is it about it? And it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. And, and, and part, you know, hearing people share their experiences and then sharing my own experiences and getting back affirmation, um, getting back love, um, not getting back judgment, uh, not getting back shaming, and, and having that happen over and over again, I think, um, you know, brings me to a place where I believe that, that I, can, I can confide um, these secrets. And, and, and I've had that happen in, you know, individual relationships and sponsor relationships. Um, I Although, you know, recently I I got a new sponsor, which is to say I asked a guy to be my sponsor, and we haven't met yet. Uh, <laughs> and and I sent him a text a little while ago. I said, hey, can we, like, get together for coffee or something? He's like, well, um, we're out of town right now. Uh, call me in a couple of weeks. Have I called right. him? No. Okay. Uh, and, and part of that reluctance, part of that procrastination uh, is – 
my fear of being judged. That if I sit down with this guy and and I don't know how we're going to start out. Uh, one of one of right. my one of my sponsors uh, uh, that I had, he said, "Well, you know, when I got a new sponsor, I did a fourth and a fifth step with him." I'm like, "Okay, you know, that sounds reasonable. How do you get to know people? How do you get? Well, how do I feel about that? I don't really know, but what my the pattern in me says is, don't trust him. Don't reveal yourself right. because he's going to judge mm. you. Uh, and I think this is one of the big barriers that I have to intimacy. And and I, from experience, I can be pretty confident that when we do sit down together and when we do talk, that he's not going to judge me and he's not going to shame me. Uh, and I can know that in my head, but I don't know it in my heart yet. Uh, yeah, that reminds me a lot of, um, in for me, something that has been very helpful in my own professional work has been um, something called mindset research that this research has researcher has been studying at Stanford, and it's about something called fixed mindset and growth mindset. And, mm. and I, I feel like a lot of people who come to the program uh, um, would relate to fixed mindset, which is results-oriented, perfection, um, and it's ruled by fear um, rather than growth mindset where you, you go to somebody like a, a teacher, um, even though a sponsor is a, is a, an equal, um, but they have oftentimes more experience. Well, they do have more experience. They have more experience in the, in the steps or, or in some way they have something that you want. Um, yeah. You go to them. This is going to sound harsh. <laughs> Um, to be criticized and you, you go to them for that growth that comes, you go to them for a kind of ruthlessness. I mean, in the program, it's, it's, it comes with incredible passion. Um, but for me, I, I often, you know, have to remember that, you know, growth mindset is, a, is about doing, just doing the work and that, 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 that is enough. And I think a lot of us were taught to be a hundred miles ahead than we were. We were never really, okay, I, I'm going to take this out of the tense and I'm going to say, I yes. was always expected to be miles ahead. Um, and that's how I thought the world worked. And so when I go into relationships, I always have to remind myself something the program taught me. There are two people in the relationship. It's not me all dependent on me. And, and, you know, my mother expected me to know how to, uh, what is it? Um, carry when you're learning how to subtract in mm -hmm. like third grade and, and you have to like carry over. Is mm -hmm. that what it's called? Um, I mean, one of the worst, uh, abusive, uh, moments of my life was when I couldn't do a problem on a sheet. And it was because we had not been taught how to carry yet, but she didn't know that. And it just is so indicative of not only I will never be good enough and I will always be a failure, but that I'm, I'm supposed to be a hundred miles ahead and I am responsible. And, and I think, you know, to a certain extent, one of the things my sponsor tells me is that that's just part of my DNA and that's just in there and you do something else. Mm -hmm. You know, you, 
that's what we're sort of learning to do, you know, have, we have this awareness, um, but then acceptance and then the action is doing something else. And sometimes that action comes after a long, long time of, of talking, using the program tools, making calls, you know, to people, um, who are part of the higher power that helps us do things that we can't do thing do for ourselves because we, I think, come to it with a lot of a completely unreasonable, unmanageable expectations in these relationships. Um, but I, I know that sponsor relationship for me is sometimes hard because I, one of the things I love about the program is that, and in most relationships, I want to hear the intense stuff. You know, I want to hear, um, basically the most intense things in your life pretty much straight up. And that helps me sort of like understand, like, I love that intimacy. I love that openness. And to a certain extent, that's the only way I can trust somebody. And sometimes that sponsor relationship I find is difficult because this is someone, you know, they're not talking about themselves. The focus is on me. And when the focus is on me, (laughs) that is very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, that that that's true. I've had sort of two and a half sponsors, I guess, so far. Oh no, those there was another one. This guy that um, was very different from me, and that that was a very good sponsor. And then he moved out of town. Actually, he moved out of the country, so it was kind of difficult to keep the relationship. Although I understand you've managed, but um, that wasn't something that was working for me. And uh, and and I think part of it was that we, the only thing we had in common really was the program. You know, there wasn't any sort of confusion about sponsor versus friend or whatever. Um, and, uh, I don't know. It's, it, and, and I found it, you know, pretty easy to talk to him, to tell him things, to, um, you know, relate what was going on. And I, I have never, I found it easy to actually develop intimate relationships with other men. Uh, and I'm not sure, um, why that is, um, something in me, something in the way I grew up. I don't know something the way I got teased and bullied in middle school. I mean, who knows, but, uh, and so this is something that the program has been helping me to do. There's some questions from blueprint for progress that, uh, mm-hmm. um, as I said, kind of triggered me into thinking about this topic. Um, and uh, the one that, that uh, came up uh, most recently uh, in the, in this meeting where we're doing sort of one question from the blueprint each month uh, in one meeting of the month, what activities help me show how much certain people mean to me and sort of, uh, and, and I can turn that around. Like, how do I show um, my appreciation for other people, but how do I feel connection from other people? How do I feel that other people appreciate me, which leads to, I think, a reinforcement of of intimacy. Um, and there, I had this realization um, maybe about a year ago, a little over a year ago, last summer. A friend of mine loaned me a book about, um, it was titled, something like The Five Languages of Love, which is just a really hokey title, but um, it was about the ways in which we show and feel that somebody loves us. And in reading that, 
I realized some things. Um, and one of those was that the way in which um, my wife feels love is very different from the way, the way that she understands that I love her, the actions that I do are different from the actions that I want to see from somebody to know that they love me. And, and, and this is sort of the premise of the book that a lot of sort of relationship problems are caused by the fact that each of us thinks we're showing love for the other person and the other person's not feeling it because we're not doing it. Right. And some of them are like, some people are do acts of service. Yep. Some people, uh, what is it? They some people use words. Some people, I forget what the other <laughs> the so, other ones are. So you know, I I I took her inventory, as it were, and and said, oh, uh, I believe that she feels love when people do things for her. Um, which then, like, flipped this switch in my head about the way I feel when she asks me to do something like I would have, she would say, could you, you know, get this thing from the store? And my thought would be, well, can't you just get it from the store yourself? Why do I need to do this? Right. Um, and then, and understanding that when she asks me that, what she's really saying is, do you love me? Uh, puts an entirely different light on it for me. You know, and part of intimacy is understanding, I think, you know, and connecting with the other person and, and understanding, you know, what's important to the other person and, and them and vice versa. Uh, what, what I found when I read this thing for me, um, is that one of the things that's important to me in a relationship is spending, um, and I hate this phrase, but it's what, you know, it works is quality time together. Um, and that I was sort of deliberately shutting myself off from doing that with her. That when she would say, let's, you know, watch a movie. I'd be, oh, okay, yeah, we'll do that sometime. And then would drop it. Uh, you know, she'd say, let's go for a walk. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And then drop it. Uh, and so do I, you needed, feel like- <laughs> I needed to look at myself and say, what is going on here, you know? Uh, <laughs> I mean, do you, do you feel like you're not a loving person? Do you feel like you're not an intimate person? I feel like I am. And I feel like there's something in me that is blocking me from being intimate with her. Um, and, and I think it, it's, I, I feel like it's about um, emotional damage that was done during the drinking um, that I felt that it was no longer safe. In, in some way, no longer emotionally safe. And so this is something I'm working on. This is something I'm working through. I'm trying to understand it. I'm talking about it, uh, which is better than not talking about it. <laughs> right. Um, How do you rebuild trust? I'm when for us, we have such a heightened sense of betrayal. Right. right. Uh, and we have to tolerate the dissonance that comes with intimacy, that comes with, here is the topic, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about it, we're not going to understand what the other person is talking about, and we're going to say dumb things because we're just putting it out there exactly the way we are. We're just going to allow ourselves to be exactly the way we are, and somehow we're going to trust that we come out the other side. And to be in that dissonance rather than, I think, to retreat and wait, like to, to a certain extent, yes, 
focusing on ourselves, waiting, patience, letting go. Those are good skills. But at a certain point with another person, you do have to be able to tolerate a different a dissonance because you are not the same person. You are different people and you have yep. different needs. And the only way to, to trust one another is to risk that intimacy of we don't understand what the other person is saying right now and you're angry and I'm hurt and that sucks. <laughs> but it's like that is the only way that you get to the other side and what the other side is going to look like. I think that's part of what Al-Anon teaches us is to not manipulate and manage the result. So not manage the other person, not manage what we say. So the other person will say what we want to hear, you know, so that the result is the result, whether it's this relationship keeps going or whether it doesn't. And we have a community that will hold us in whatever result comes out at the end, because both those results can be painful, whether the relationship stays or goes or whether we're still in this dissonant period. And I think that's what Al-Anon gives us a lot of tools and the support because we need more support. We need more support. It was funny. I was talking to a friend last night who um, revealed to me uh, her addiction that she had this past, um, where she had had two years of really intense addiction to meth and heroin. Ouch. And, but the thing is she jumped into that two years and then she just jumped out hmm. and she's one of the most disciplined. It was interesting. She pointed out, Oh, you could see it in the way I am so obsessed with these certain activities. And I was like, Oh God, I never thought about it that way. Hmm. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't go to meetings and some people um, are perhaps like that. I, I'm not one of those people. And I know through my experience with intimate relationships and, and when I, I, the only way I can tolerate those dis- that dissonance is to know that there are people out there that love me, mm-hmm. that it's not just this person. This person is not the world. And that I love me, that I can yeah. sit <laughs> with my own dissonance and my own and be intimate with, you know, because for me, I go through transitions and I don't know what I'm feeling and, and I start to dissociate or I don't know what's going on and maybe I'm being gentle, maybe I'm not. And these, this program has taught me to keep going, keep doing the work, keep making calls, keep going to meetings. And, you know, something will happen on the other, other side and I am okay, just, just the way I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm there yet. Sometimes I convince myself that I am. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I'm saying this is what the program teaches. This is what I try to practice. Gotcha. You know, but, but, you know, for me, I mean, that's where I am. I'm, I, I was traveling for 10 months and I came back and, um, being able to tolerate the new person, um, when I have, like I said, I'm purging all my, all my stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to find a way to shed the weight so that, you know, there are, there are two big things in my life that I'm avoiding. I'm not uh, avoiding. I'm not ready. I'm that are incredibly intimate just because the fear is, is very strong. And it, and it feels different because I've been in the program and I've been doing the work. So the fear doesn't feel like a searing pain, you know, which is the thing that I'm used to. You know, my, my sponsor also often likes to say to me, you know, your arm doesn't have to be cut off <laughs> for you to need help. <laughs> okay. Because that's, you know, that's what I'm used to. That's the signifier 
is that I have to go as far and be in so much pain. But, you know, I'm, I'm learning a different way, which is to be intimate with a kind, with a kind of gentleness. And, and that feels kind of uncomfortable, you know, for something to not be at the extreme. Mm-hmm. And to t- tolerate that transition, especially, I don't know, when we're in the program and we're learning new things and learning new skills and we have new people and we have all this love and it's like, oh my God, what is this? I don't know that tall. To tolerate that is, is, is hard for me. And so that's, you know, that's where, where I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, I got a, a voicemail from Akila where she talked a little bit about uh, the questions that I posed, I think it was last week, about intimacy. I thought I might play that. Hey, Spencer, this is Akila. I'm calling, I'm calling about the intimacy questions that you asked, and um, one of them was what are your barriers to intimacy? And, you know, I, I think I mentioned before I thought it was a really good friend before I came to the program, but my friends wouldn't really tell me a lot of stuff, uh, which I would discover later. And I think one of the huge things was that um, – First of all, I got a lot of my self-esteem from being sane and together, like being the one people counted on or they went to for advice. So, which meant that I would tell people what to do, but I didn't always empathize or have compassion for them. Um, so that was something. And then because my self-esteem came from being together, I could never let people see when I wasn't feeling together or I didn't have it all together. So. I couldn't be vulnerable. And the other point, of course, was that um, vulnerability was not safe for me. That was never safe to show somebody how I felt or to, I guess, show any kind of weakness. And it would be very hard for me to show any kind of emotional response besides frustration or really get angry. I would just be annoyed. So beyond that, I was not comfortable doing anything because I, I didn't like that feeling of being vulnerable because then somebody could hurt me. Um, and since coming into the program, of course, I understand I understand that that's the only way I can be friends with people is to be honest with them and to be emotionally honest. But that, that is a very hard thing for me, and it's not something that I do readily or easily, but I do try to be better with the people I care about and the people that I do actually love. And um, my friends are usually safer for that than anything else. So, thanks. Bye. I see she identified vulnerability and and trust. Absolutely. Yeah. And expectations. That expectation that I have to be the person I was the last time you saw me. I have to be, and I have to be together. And Mm -hmm. being together all the time is incredibly painful. I loved that she talked about that. That that part definitely struck a chord with me. You know, I think there are relationships in my life where I feel like um, I can only engage when I've got a good front, when I look like I'm all together. That's what she was saying. I mean, it's the thing when you're walking down the street and you pass a friend and they're like, hey, how you doing? Oh, great. See ya. Um, when inside no, and you're I've totally been... not. <laughs> Oh, and it's interesting. I had a teacher this summer really kick my ass in a in a sacred ruthlessness ruthlessness kind of way um, because she said to me, um, we were talking about various tools, and one of the she was talking about my eyes, and she was saying, "You cheat out what? your eyes. You want to deflect. You want to go away for a moment." 
and come back when you understand. And I, oof, this woman knew me for like just a moment and she saw that. Hmm. I do. I, I want to escape from the feelings. I want to escape from what my body is telling me. And I, I'm going to go over here now and, and I'll come back when I get it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, she was telling me as an exercise, she was like, find a friend. And she was like, someone who will signal you when your eyes go out of the moment. Hmm. Because that's what I want to do. I want to come back when I'm perfect. I want to come back when I quote unquote understand. Because that's how I control is I want to understand, you know, I want to use my intellect. I want to, and that's what I did. And that's what, you know, got me into an amazing college. But you know what? It doesn't get you very far. <laughs> hmm. And it takes me so far away from really what is the gift and the beauty and, and what is really happening when I try to control that and when I, I'm not vulnerable, like she said. Yeah. So when you were talking about that, I don't know if this is exactly what she meant, but one of the things that, that I have to consciously practice, uh, particularly when I'm, for example, being a sponsor and meeting with a sponsee, is keeping my visual focus on the other person because that's uncomfortable for me. And I think it's often uncomfortable for the other person. Well, maybe so. Um, <laughs> maybe so. Well, because there's intimacy. You know, there's yeah, intimacy exactly. that's happening. Well, there's an exchange yeah. when you're really present. This was really brought to me, home to me, that this was sort of important when when somebody is being intimate, when they're sharing things about themselves, about their life, that is difficult for them to share. Um, that's really emotionally charged or whatever, that I need to be present for that experience. And I need to be, I need to make it clear to the other person that I'm present. Uh, and if I'm slouching back in my chair, if I'm, you know, looking at my fingernails or whatever it is, um, staring out the window, which is, much more comfortable for me emotionally. Uh, if I'm doing that, I'm not being present. At least I'm not being visibly present. And I may say, oh yeah, I'm there, but I'm not there as much as I could be. And, and I was in a, a training, um, uh, for a, a chaplaincy role, which is a chaplain is somebody who, you know, can listen, right? To a large extent. And, they did a role play, the trainer and one of the other people uh, did a role play where the person was, was telling the chaplain what was going on in her life. And this was with teens. And so this person was actually talking about what was really going on in her life. And the guy who was being the chaplain was kind of, he was sitting back and, you know, kind of fidgeting and looking around, maybe, you know, a little bit of whistling or something. And she told her story, but it, well, I'll move on to the second part. Uh, so then he said, okay, how did that, you know, asking us, how did that feel to you? Did it feel like, you know, I was listening to her? And we all said no, <laughs> because it didn't. 
And so then he said, okay, let's do it again. And, and he sat forward and he looked at her and he nodded. And, and when she told the story the second time, it was the same facts, but there was a whole lot more emotion and, and realism in, in what she said. Um, and that really brought home to me that, that I may feel more comfortable sitting back and looking out the window when somebody's telling me stuff that's sort of uncomfortable for me to hear, but I'm not being there for the other person. Well, but I also think it's that, on a, I mean, we live in a very comfortable society. There's not a lot of moments of groundlessness where the rug really gets pulled out from under us constantly. I mean, we have a lot of ways to distract. And that's one of the things I noticed was that when I tried to be really present, say like in a subway car, it was, it was palpably painful to feel the way in which people had people all around them. Mm-hmm. And they're spending their time in a way that is just promoting resistance. I mean, we're all, we're all dealing with resistance, whether we're in the program or not. And we've stashed a lifetime of stuff in there. And for, for those of us that, that, that practice of staying here and also staying part of staying present, I think is the belief that there is a love for ourselves, like bringing love into the room not love is somewhere else or in the future, but there is not only are we seeing the actual physical thing of the room, but we're bringing a love of ourselves and whatever comes up for us into that room, you know, and, and yes, we end up then I think being present for the other person just happens to happen, but it comes from, um, the word was used was compassion for ourselves Compassion for the feelings that are going to come up if we bring the possibility of love into the room, you know, not, not somewhere buried deep inside, not somewhere away, but we're going to bring a love for whatever comes up in ourselves in that room. Mm -hmm. And then I think we're just, and then we are just there for the other person. That just, that just happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I'd like to to close up with uh, just a consideration of the question about how I'm deepening friendships and loving relationships in my life now and where I'm having uh, problems with that, what might help me uh, to do to do that. And I think for me, the the process here is really, God, it's the steps, you know. It's recognition. And over the last couple of months, it's sort of been brought into focus for me, this question about, um, you know, this trouble that I'm, I'm having with rebuilding an intimate relationship with my wife, who I've been married to for over 30 years now, so you'd think, but anyway. Uh, so there's that step. And then reaching out for help, which is steps two and three. Um, taking some inventory, like what is what is going on here? You know, what's my part? Uh, I mean, or, or what are the components of my part? Uh, talking about it, you know, admitting it to God, myself and another human being, which I've been doing in some meetings and in this podcast. Uh, and so I think at this point I'm sort of at step six and seven, which is, uh, really asking for help from my higher power. 
to move forward and and then um, taking chances, you know, being vulnerable uh, and and uh, having that that courage that goes with that vulnerability uh, to uh, to to take a chance and and open up and say something that I'm not sure what kind of response I'm going to get and and trust in my higher power that that it will work. Um, so I think that's that's how the program is helping me or can help me to uh, improve uh, improve in this area. How about yourself? Uh, for me, for me, it's pretty simple. It comes down to self care, and a lot of that self care involves step eleven, uh, prayer and meditation, um, meditation especially. Um, basically. Um, coming into my body, however it wants to be, especially when it comes to things like fear, um, and giving myself, um, what it needs. And for me, that's routine. It Mm -hmm. means a morning routine and a night routine and having faith that I deserve that. And that's, that's really hard for me is I do a lot of deprivation of myself um, and I don't, I don't want to be too, too hard on myself about it because self-care is really difficult. It's one of the most difficult things that we do, but when I'm able to give myself a routine and also able to give myself things like, um, camping time in nature mm-hmm. where I know that I can accept myself for who I am and come into my body, however it wants to be, when I'm able to give myself those things, um, then I am 200% more able to be intimate with the people I love. Hmm. I like to think about that. I think that's, that's, there's some real wisdom there, uh, that I can't give to others until I'm feeling good in myself. Thanks. After a short break, we'll continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. Our first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 88, of Simon and Garfunkel singing their song, Old Friends. This is a song that, I mean, literally goes back to my childhood. I think my parents bought this album when I was still fairly young, and uh, we listened listened to the heck out of it probably wore out the vinyl (laughs) so it's about two old friends who are who are sitting on a park bench just being with each other uh and and it finishes with these lines memory brushes the same years silently sharing the same fear and before that he says, can you imagine us years from today sharing a park bench quietly? And to me, it's just this picture of two people who are so comfortable with each other, who know each other so well, that they're just there together, uh, quietly. They don't have to say anything. Um, I don't know. It, 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 it's had this picture in my head for, for a long time. And so that was the, the first song that occurred to me when I thought of this topic.
In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. Would you like to start, Mara? What's been going on for me is that I I discovered that I've been apparently sick for weeks. (laughs) And that um, for me, uh, I've been trying to enact a lot of gentleness about the kind of hibernation period I've been in. Um, And so I actually haven't been going to a lot of meetings. I went to my Saturday meeting and then I went to a meeting on, on Friday on my meeting on Friday, they talked, they read, um, from the big book keys to the kingdom. And it was interesting at the end, they talked about, uh, pain and this ache that we've been living with and how that ache will go away. And I thought that was an interesting point. Um, for me, you know, I felt that really the privilege is to be able to feel the pain without the spinoff, feel the pain without the story I attach to it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's in a lot of ways, that's the real pain. That's the suffering. Um, and so for me, that that's, that's what I was thinking about this week. All right. Yeah. That self care thing. It's uh, difficult for us sometimes. I don't remember if I talked about this last week in the podcast or not, but one of the things that that became clear to me recently, yeah, I think this, right, this became clear to me as I was doing last week's podcast and talking uh, to Ruth about unmanageability, was the effect that sort of continued, continuous pressure, stress at work has had on on my ability to function in my life as a whole. And we're just, we're really busy. Um, we've been busy for um, like a year plus, and we're going to continue to be busy at sort of the same level as we're all working together towards a goal. Uh, and we're making progress. It's not like things are going horribly wrong stress. It's just I'm working all the time, and I'm not working a lot of overtime or anything like that. It's just when I'm at work, it's like, you know, head down, do the thing, Um get it done and there's always more and we're getting, we get things done and this is good. Um, we're currently working towards a, a, a goal of having a, a major piece of work done by the end of October. And it looks like we're on schedule to actually do that, which is really amazing in the software development. Oh, world. congratulations. That's yeah. huge. <laughs> it is. Uh, and so be proud of yourself. <laughs> And right. And it's all good. I mean, it's good. I mean, stuff's getting done. But what I realized was that, that there really was taking a toll on sort of my emotional, um, energy bank, I think is the way to think of it. That I would come home in the evening and I just wouldn't want to do anything. I would sit there for three hours and play Candy Crush. Well, except Candy Crush kicks you off after five, you know, times you lose. So, um, <laughs> and I, you know, I'd go play another game till Candy Crush recharged, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, and and I would I would say I want to do this thing. Like I skipped a week on the podcast because I didn't have the energy. Uh, every day I was like, I'll do it today. No, I just don't feel like it. Um, and so talking to her and realizing just sort of having that visualization that this is what's going on, that this, you know, intensity at work is, is draining other parts of my life. And so then that takes me to the, well, what do we do about it step, right? And what I need to do about it is to figure out what for the moment I need, I can take out 
of what I think are my obligations to, to, to my life, as it were. And I'm, I'm sort of working on that. What, what, what things do I drop so that I'm not feeling over, overloaded? Do you find that you have acceptance around it? Or did you just go I from think, awareness to action? Um, no, there was acceptance that this is what's happening. Um, That's that, great. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'm working on the, I'm working on the, how do I restructure, um, life outside of work so that I'm, I'm not feeling overwhelmed, that I'm not feeling tired all the time. So how did the program help me with that? How am I practicing the principles of the program? Well, you know, there was, there was some inventory there. There was some, some acceptance, acceptance, awareness, acceptance, action, right? Um, there was acceptance of what is, um, you know, I'm sort of powerless over the amount of work we have to do, uh, and uh, and being able to to see it, to accept it, and then to say, okay, these are things I'm powerless over. These are things I can change. Um, what changes do I make? And it's it's there's a lot of program there, uh, and I don't have to feel helpless, even though I may be powerless over parts of my life. Of what other people are putting in parts of my life, and there there are also things I can do at work. There are places where I can say no, I can't do that. Um, that help to reduce that intensity as well. So um, that's been that's been pretty important over the last week of this recognition. Wow! Recognition All of, that in one week. Of, wow. of uh, overwhelmedness and and um, uh, acceptance and. And moving forward into uh, to doing something about it, uh, and and part of it for me just like understanding, recognizing what's happening, like oh that's what's happening, that's why I don't want to do anything. Okay, I mean that just in itself it's such is a, a relief. Big help. Yeah, um, it's not that I'm sick uh, or something, you know. So when you said when 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 I heard from you and you said you were sick and and. And I was like, oh, I get it. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Upcoming topics. I still don't know exactly what I'm going to talk about next week. I thought trust might be a good one, sort of segueing out of uh, intimacy into trust. Uh, Or maybe it's too much of the same topic. So I'm still waffling on that one. Um, So, hey, listeners, let me know what you think. Uh, Is is trust right after intimacy too much, or is it a good thing? uh, other upcoming topics we have enabling. Uh, I'm still working on triggers. I'm getting some input from people. That's really really cool. Uh, also, uh, October is coming up, so Ruth and I will be talking about Tradition Ten um, probably in a couple of weeks. And Tradition Ten is the Al-Anon family groups have no opinion on outside issues, hence our name ought never be drawn into public controversy. And we like to talk about not only like how does this help Al-Anon stay healthy, but also. Uh, as a friend of mine said recently in another podcast, you know, the traditions are about how I interact with other people. They're sort of like the steps are how do I live with myself and the traditions are how do I live with other people. And and so we like to think about how does this work in our lives in general, in the groups that we're part of, whether it's a family group, um, a friend group, a work group. Uh, how can we bring these these traditions into our life to, 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 to work it better? So we welcome your thoughts. Uh, well, you can join the conversation. Please leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or your questions about any of these upcoming topics. Mara, how can people send us feedback? 
You guys can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send an email to us at feedback at therecoveryshow.com. We'd love to hear from you, share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic on intimacy or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd also like us to talk about, just let us know. And where do you get all this information? Well, you get it at the website, which is therecoveryshow.com. We have all the information about the show there. There are notes for each episode, um, an occasional blog, uh, links to the music we talk about. I'm not playing it in the show anymore. I'm sad about that, but that's the way it is. And some links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. And you can come over there and you can contribute by leaving comments, uh, by looking at the topic list and suggesting topics. I have to say the topic list is not exactly up to date about the ones we've covered. Uh, that's one of those things that I'm not doing right now, um, but I will get back to it. Uh, if you're inspired or ambitious, uh, think about contributing a guest meditation uh, because uh, we haven't had too many meditations recently. Again, another thing that I don't have time for right now. Uh, so if you, and if you'd really like to join the conversation, consider being a guest host like Mara is today by uh, phone or we're on, uh, we're on Apple FaceTime, which is working really well for us. Email feedback at the recovery show.com. If you're interested, if any of the upcoming topics are ones you'd particularly like to talk about, let me know. So we're going to take a little bit of a break before looking at our mail bag um, the second musical selection available on the website is Poison and Wine by the Civil Wars. Um, I chose this song because I think it talks a lot about what I call dissonance <laughs> in relationships. Um, the lyrics are pretty simple and they, and they speak for themselves. Um, the lyrics start, you only know what I want you to. And it's a duet. So then uh, the second singer says, I know everything you don't want me to. Mm. And later on in the song, uh, something that I really relate to or related to this kind of resentment that can build up in relationships, this kind of inability to ask for what you need for whatever weight, whatever story that's going on in your head. You know, um, the singer says, I wish you'd hold me when I turn my back. And the other singer says, the less I give, the more I get back. And I think there's just this enigmatic place that sometimes we all get to in relationships, this very painful place of not knowing what the next step is, just mm -hmm. knowing that we are in pain and there's an intimate pain. So it's a really beautiful song. I hope you'll listen to it on the website. Let's look at our mailbag. It's um, we got a couple of emails and some voicemail. I had a very short email from Jeff who wrote and asked for an episode about step two. And, um, you know, I pointed him at the one we did, oh, God, a year and a half ago now. Uh, episode number nine, if you can believe that. We're 88 now. 
which was about step two, and we felt it was a good one. So if you're if you're uh, struggling with step two, that might be a good one to listen to. And also, um, episode sixty seven, uh, which I did, I titled it "Came to Believe," was about step two and three together. Really about coming to believe that a higher power can help restore me to sanity, and how I made the decision to. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. I think the title is 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 made a decision, but it it covers both steps two and three. But it would be, um, I think, fun to do another Step 2 episode with different guests because I think there are as many Step 2 stories in the program as there are members. And so whenever we talk about it, uh, we get different perspectives. Um, and uh, we had a, a short note from Ani. Did you read that, Mara? Yep, Ani sent this short note. Thank you guys for the absolutely awesome podcast. I just discovered it today, and I'm so grateful to have access to this great resource. With gratitude, Ani. Akila, who's one of our frequent correspondents and always has some good stuff to say, um, left us some voicemail about the unmanageability uh, episode, which uh, I did with Ruth last week. So let's listen to Akila here. Hey, Spencer and Ruth. This is Akila. I just want to thank you so much for the unmanageability episode. It was so great, and I just wanted to call in and talk a little bit about my own experience with unmanageability. Um, I found, so I had gone to therapy many, a couple years ago, because I had this, what I call a low-grade sadness, which is permeating everything, and which in program, of course, is what we talk about being irritable, restless, and discontent. And when I was there, that's when I discovered I was the adult child of an alcoholic, which I didn't have a name for. I just kind of like, you know, I got drank all the time, and I had family members in training, I didn't really understand. And um, what really got me in the program, though, is that I was kind of falling apart because I, well, all my friends, what led me, I hated my friends. I started to hate my friends. And the problem, of course, is that I didn't have boundaries. Um, but I really just didn't want to be around them anymore because they always had problems and they always told me about their problems. And I was sick of trying to help them solve their problems because they never listened to me. And, of course, I just didn't understand that it wasn't my job to fix my friend's problems and that they had to find their own way. Um, and the other thing, of course, I said I was low-grade sad. And then my daughter was driving me insane. I felt like I was living in the house I grew up in, um, which was, like, nothing I did was good enough. Like, I was always just, like, on edge. Um, and I also had an issue, if only, like, I really, I had never thought about it, but, yeah, the obsessiveness of if only, if only, if only this, if only that, if only things would be different, if only um, people listen to me, if only, if only, and I, I think I mentioned before in my very first meeting, you know, I said, if only everybody would listen to me and do what I say, then their lives would be better and I would be fine, and that was just, that is, for me, the very definition. Um, and I also came in. And I wound up still being obsessive, so I had to go to another program, which is it's something I learned here, of course, is that if I need help to get it. And this, this problem was also right on time because I was starting to feel that same sense of unmanageability. And for me, a lot of times it shows up in this attitude of I'll just burn it all to the ground. So, like, oh, like I'm feeling a little out of control because of money. And then it's like, well, why not just, it doesn't even matter anyway. I can just spend all that money, and then I'm like, but that's terrible thinking. Um, don't do that, because then you'll be in more trouble than you are. So at least now I have the wherewithal to just cannot do that, because I know 
that is not this is an act of this moment. If I were financially stable, if things were going well, what would I do? Well, I certainly wouldn't go out and make it work, you know? So these are the things that I'm learning in programs is how to identify what, um, where I'm going to. And at this point, she talked for three minutes and got cut off, so she called back uh, and uh, finished her thoughts. Hey, Spencer and Ruth. This is Akilah. I got cut off. Um, because I just had so much to say. So I'll just finish by saying, I think I left off saying the program helps me see where um, I'm feeling unmanageable and recognize the the sort of obsessive thinking. And today I was able to go to a meeting, which helped a lot. But if I don't go to a meeting, I can read literature. I can um, call somebody, which is always helpful. And I just also wanted to add that the I've been thinking a lot about that Triggers episode, and I haven't sent in my story or called or anything, but... I just have so much to say, as per usual. So I just need to write it down and kind of sort it out. So hopefully I'll be able to send you something before it starts. Anyway, thanks so much. I really appreciate the topic and, again, the service. Take care of yourself. Bye. So any thoughts on uh, Akilah's share there about unmanageability? So much of it sounded very familiar. Well, I love that she brought up the triggers episode because when you were talking about, so what should come after episode, <laughs> after intimacy? And I'm like, well, triggers, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually had a conversation with somebody um, earlier this week and uh, that we said, you know, this could go into either episode. And I think I'm holding it onto it for triggers, but definitely connected. I think one of the things that keeps us from intimacy sometimes is, is our triggers. Absolutely. And learning to accept them, be present in them, you know. All that hard stuff. All that jazz. <laughs> All right. Uh, I just wanted to uh, mention that uh, recent episode of the Recovered Podcast uh, at recoveredcast.com, uh, they had an episode titled, What is Al-Anon? With uh, uh, Mark, the host, who uh, has uh, definitely been, he's got over 10 years in Al-Anon now. That's excellent um, that they couple, did that there. Couple of a uh, couple of my friends from Elanon and um, a woman who's who's recently started coming to Elanon after several years in AA, where people are telling, you know, you really you really should check out Elanon. <laughs> so she finally did. Um, actually, after listening to one of the Recovery Show podcasts, she was like, "Oh my god, all this stuff that I just thought was me is like." Elanon issues and and so it's, it's oh really, absolutely it's a really interesting episode with um, you know the contrast of people who've been in the program for several years and somebody who's just sort of uh, started sticking her toes in so uh, check that out folks uh, at recoveredcast.com what is Elanon also uh, wanted to give a little shout out to uh, another sister podcast uh, with uh, some of the some of the people that you've you've heard here uh on, uh, on the recovery show is called ESH Recovery, stands for Experience, Strength, and Hope Recovery uh, at eshrecovery.com. And they uh, they do mostly Al-Anon, but uh, there's some AA in, in, in there as well as they uh, rotate their, their hosting responsibilities a month at a time. So check that one out also. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Becky did. Or you can, as the uh, the little 
headline in the uh, the sidebar on the website says you can support us. Uh, donate by shopping, I think is what I what it says. Uh, you go uh, buy stuff at Amazon. Click on the link on our website to go to Amazon and buy stuff that you need. Please don't just go buy stuff. Uh, and we'll get a, a commission from Amazon, which uh, helps out, uh, helps support uh, support our expenses to keep us going here. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We're here for you. Uh, the last song selection, and I wanted to mention that if you go to the website, if you go to therecoveryshow.com slash 88, there, there's a, a Spotify playlist with um, a bunch of songs that were considered. Uh, and uh, Amara picked out a couple of them, and I picked out uh, uh, the rest of them. Uh, that, uh, And... You know, I can we can talk about two or three in the in the course of the of the show, but there's there are several others out there, and one of the ones that Mara picked just was like, oh my god, I really like to include that, but it's sort of on the negative side, and we already had a negative one, so uh, go listen, go listen. Uh, the The last song selection that I'm going to talk about is "You Can't Make Old Friends." It's by Kenny Rogers, and it's sung as a duet uh, with Dolly Parton, and. He told, uh, in an interview, he said, the song is one of the most emotional that they've cut together. He said, it's poignantly sad. I think, I love the song, but it deals very close to reality. Dolly told me, I want you to know I can't sing at your funeral. I told her, so you're assuming that I'm going to go first. The more we did that song together, it just said some wonderful things like, who's going to finish the story as I start the way you used to do? With old friends, you know each other well enough to do that, to finish a story. Oh, wow. Yeah, and and the title, you know, you can't make old friends. You can only you can only grow old friends over time. Um and and you know, being able to finish each other's stories is a, is definitely a form of intimacy. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. <laughs>